Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. And begin to find Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 20. And uh, we're in a series where we're dealing with the parables. And as we deal with the parables, we've been talking about the kingdom secrets is what I've been calling the, the series. And we've been talking about, you know, each parable. And I want to remind you again and again and again that each parable has a spiritual truth. One spiritual truth is being taught throughout that parable. So it's not that we can take a parable and have many faceted spiritual truths applied out of that. There's one truth, but there may be many applications of that one truth, okay? So make sure you understand when you approach a parable that you are looking for the single truth that Jesus is giving in that parable in order that you can rightly apply it to your life, okay? Now, one of the things I want you to think about as parents, parents, one of the things that we struggle with kids as we're raising them is this idea of fairness, uh, can, I, can I get an amen? Now, those of us who have multiple children, we understand that, that fairness is sometimes something that our kids will, will cry and bemoan. You know, for example, you know, try this experiment, parents. Go home today, get the ice cream out of the freezer, and uh, put two bowls of ice cream on the counter. And uh, in one bowl, put three scoops of ice cream. In the other one, put one scoop of ice cream. And then give your kids the opportunity to pick which one they want. <laughs> now, don't really do that because, you know, what that ensue is a battle and a fight at your house. Amen? Because if that kid's anything like me, I'm going for the three. Amen? I'm not going for one. I'm going for three scoops. So I want you to think about, though, fairness. And as we think about fairness, we, we are really living in a society we're inundated with this idea of fairness. Everything needs to be fair. Everything needs to be equal across the board. Well, the reality is life's not that way, is it? Life is not a fair game. That is that there are always going to be times that there are going to be people that are going to have more than you. You know, there, there's, you know, I don't know what it is. Marina and I, when we go out to eat certain places, it's like when we order the same exact thing, her plate comes, it's got more food on it than my plate. And I told her, I said, I don't know why that happens. I'm the fat guy in the table, you know, but that's just because life is unfair, right? It's not, they did it deliberately. It just happens, right? But the problem is we live under this curse and in this curse that we live in called sin, we feel like everything ought to be fair and equitable. And the reality is it's never going to be that way. But here's the problem too. The fairness that I want is by my definition of what is fair. So what may be fair for me or I think is fair for me may not be fair for you. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Now, that would never creep into the church, would it? That would never be a mindset that we as believers would get into, would it? Well, I'm here to submit to you that that's exactly what today's parable is about. It is about helping us to understand the equality that God gives. And, and as we think about this equality that God gives, 
that, that it's in one area and one area distinctly that God gives it. And we're going to talk about that as we go through the parable today in Matthew's gospel, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. So let's read the parable. And this is the parable of the workers in your vineyard. Listen to how Jesus tells the parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day. So there's a contractual agreement. You come work for me for a denarius a day. He sent them into his vineyard. And he went out, verse 3, he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And again, verse 5, he went out about the sixth hour of the day and then the ninth hour and did likewise. And at about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? Now that sounds a little... Um, you know, like getting onto somebody, but the, but the phraseology, if you look, break those Greek words down, he's really asking them is why hasn't anybody hired you? Why are you still here? You should be working somewhere. Somebody should have hired you. Now notice what he goes on to say. He says, um, verse seven, and they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner, verse 8 is where I'm at, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning the last to the first. Then when those who were hired about the 11th hour, when they received each a denarius, uh, excuse me, then they received a denarius, verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed they would receive more And they likewise received each a denarius. (laughs) And when they had received it, they compiled or complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am, am I doing you any wrong? He said, did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. It is, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? <laughs> so the last will be first and the first last. Now when you begin to think about this parable, Jesus is helping us to understand a very important fact. It is so important for us as Christians to get this truth today because here's the problem that I find in the church. I find in the church that people will look at other folks in the church and they will begin to downplay themselves and their relationship with the Lord. Or what we'll do is we'll as a church think that missionaries somehow are on a higher level or a higher plane than we are. You know, or the preacher, you know, he's different because, you know, the preacher's on that higher level. You know, he's called and, you know, he stands on that platform and gets to preach every week. And, you know, so we may put that on a different level. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is, as we think about what Jesus is doing is he is leveling the playing field. Now, that's important for you to understand this morning because what we're going to find, hopefully by the end of the sermon, I'll just give you the point up front, is that regardless of our status as a believer and what we may be doing and what God has called us each to do as believers, 
The reality is all true believers will equally receive the same. And that is the the finishing of your salvation called glorification in heaven. Now, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day that you and I will be in heaven. Amen? What a great day that's going to be. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, there is equality when it comes to salvation. Amen? So listen to what he tells us. Listen to the purpose of the parable. And in order to get the purpose, we sort of have to backtrack a little bit. So I want you to open your Bibles and look at chapter 19. And I want you to backtrack just to verse 27. And I want you to see why Jesus is going to give us this parable. Notice verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to him. Now, Peter is responding to a situation that just happened. If you read earlier in the, in the chapter 19, you'll find the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And, and so he's concerned about going to heaven. And so he asked Jesus directly, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus would say to him, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor. Right? And the Bible says that he left away sad because he had great wealth. Now, Jesus wasn't saying the way of the salvation is giving your stuff away. But what Jesus is getting at is the stronghold in that man's life, what was tying him down was the fact that he loved money, that he loved that more than he would ever love God. And so Jesus gives us that story. We see that story. Then right behind that, Jesus says to his disciples, as that man's walking off, I can see Jesus saying to them now, hey guys, I want you to know something. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go to heaven. Now that just baffled those guys because you know, they're thinking rich people, they're like important to God because in their economy, you know what? We, we would think, you know, and we do it today, we, we don't realize we do it, but we think, well, if we're blessed, God loves us more. Right? So that's their mentality. God must really love them because they got all this wealth, they got all this stuff. Certainly God must love them. And so <laughs> the disciples say to, to Jesus, well, well, Lord, then who can be saved. I love the answer, right? With man, it's impossible. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Amen? Nothing you can do to be saved. You cannot join a church to be saved. You cannot give money to be saved. You cannot do religious works to be saved. You cannot do religious rituals to be saved. There is nothing you can do to be saved. But with God, he says, all things are possible. So you can imagine Peter, this great thinker, Peter is thinking, well, if the rich man's not going to do it, and if it's, you know, by what God is doing, the question becomes, well, you know what? I've given up everything to follow him. What's in it for me? You ever ask yourself that? Have you ever said, Ed, what's in it for me? And if we haven't said it, we sort of acted like this sometimes, hadn't we? What's in it for me? I'm following Jesus. What's in it for me? Think about Peter now. Peter, the Bible says when he was called, right? Peter, like James and John, they put down their nets and they just followed Jesus. And they just quit the industry. They, they were fishermen by trade. And the Bible says that they laid down their nets and they followed him. And so Peter has been following Jesus and he asks this question in verse 27. And he says, 
We have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What's in it for us, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him, by the way. Notice what Jesus does. So Jesus said in verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you that in the resurrection, or excuse me, in the regeneration, that is, when the resurrection will happen, and Jesus comes, and when he sits on his throne in his glory, verse 28, he says, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and wife or children or lands, that's a lot of stuff, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So Peter, don't worry about it. There's something in for you. I want you to understand, Peter, you did not give up a thing. You invested in the kingdom. And that's what we need to understand this morning. There's nothing that God is going to ask you to give up or call you from that is not an investment for the kingdom. But notice how Jesus ends, when he's talking to Peter, he ends it by saying, the first shall be last and the last first. What he's trying to tell tell Peter is this. Peter, the, the kingdom of God and its economy is different than the world's economy. I want you to understand something, Peter, that regardless of what you're going to get, you may still be last in the kingdom of God. I want you to understand that that those who seem to think that they're ahead of the game may be the ones in the back of the line. Amen? You say, now how does that apply to salvation? Well, he goes and he tells us that. So Jesus picks up on that thought and he says to us a parable. And so the purpose of the parable we find found in the answer to Peter. Peter, what is it supposed to be like? Peter had this mentality. And by the way, all the disciples had this mentality. What's in it for me? But here's the second, here's the second thing they had. Who's the greatest? Isn't it interesting that that was something that was a stronghold in their relationships? That on more than one occasion that they would squabble and argue and fuss and fight about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you, we do the same thing. We do the same thing, you know, and and we think, you know, because we are the pastor that somehow we're going to be better off in the kingdom of God than those who sit and listen to us. Or maybe the, the, teacher thinks that they're going to, you know, who's in the Sunday school thinks they're going to have a better place because they were the teacher in the Sunday school. Uh, Let me just tell you, when it comes to heaven, when it comes to us inheriting our salvation fully and completely at our glorification, there is no difference. And I want you to understand as we approach the parable, see, here's the problem. We approach parables and we forget there's a one One line running through that parable, that's a truth. And the truth is that very thing that we're talking about the equality of salvation here. We're talking about believers looking at other believers. We're not talking about lost people and believers. We're talking about believers and believers. But as we think about that equality as it runs through this parable, I want you to understand Jesus is not approaching rewards. Jesus is not talking about, he did not pick up on what Peter said about rewards, saying, what kind of reward am I going to get? No, Jesus switches the conversation on him and moves to the idea that, hey, we need to understand no matter what's going to be your reward in heaven, we're all equal there. Amen? Did, did Did you hear what I just said? doesn't matter what your reward is. We're all equal there. So it's not like I'm going to get a crown that's better than your crown. I'm going to be able to go, hmm, I'm better than you. 
But that's our mentality as believers now. That's our mentality as human people that are frail and faulty and under the curse. But we need to be reminded that, listen, that's not God's economy. And so Jesus gives us the parable. He begins the parable, notice in verse 1, in scene 1, he begins by talking about the hiring of workers. Now let me just give you some information so you know. First of all, as you begin to think about the vineyard, this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the vineyard. For he says, look, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So this vineyard is the kingdom of God. I believe the landowner is the father himself, the Lord. It is him. And he goes out and he seeks, right? He goes out and he finds folks who need to be saved, amen? And he is the one who does the seeking and the saving. We don't do that. But he goes out, notice what he does. He goes out and he says, he goes out early in the morning. This is about 6 a.m., which is about the time in the morning they would go to the market and they would go to the marketplace and there there would be some laborers, some folks who were relying upon somebody to hire them in order that they would have a day's wage in order to feed their family and take care of things. And so he goes out early in the morning and it says that when he went out, verse two, now when he had agreed, excuse me, with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, some commentators get off on this whole agreement thing and they get in the fight and argue about, well, is this, you know, an agreement to this agreement? Can I just tell you, listen, there's no agreement when God saves you. Amen. When he says, it's not, a, it's not a contractual agreement that you and I make with him. Well, I'm going to come do this, so you're going to give me this. There is no working for your salvation. Amen? The contract's all his side. He's going to save you, and he's going to keep you. Amen? You know, people talk about being lost. I heard a sermon this past week said, you know, this guy said, well, I can be lost. I can jump out of God's hand. He said, well, let me tell you something, friend. He said, you can go out in the middle of the ocean, and you can jump up in the ocean, he said, but that's all you're going to do is jump up because you can never jump out of the ocean. It's too big. That's God's hand. Amen. You may jump up in God's hand, but you ain't jumping out. Amen. Not if he put you there to begin with. And so he says to us that he goes out and he hires these workers. Now notice how the line goes. He says, verse three, he went out again and he hired some more workers about 9 a.m. in the morning. And in verse three, again, he went out and saw them standing in the marketplace idle And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever, verse four, whatever is right, I will give you. There is no contract. There is no promise of anything. Just says, I'll give you what's right. So whatever that may be, they agree to do that. They go into the field to work. In verse five, and again, he went out and it was about the sixth hour. So now it's about noon. He's about the middle of the day. He goes out and he hires some folks. And then the ninth hour, he went out and he hired some more folks. Now we're at about three o'clock in the afternoon. So the day is ticking. It's winding down. And he goes out and he finds these folks to work. And he did likewise, said the same thing. I'll pay you what's right. Verse six, in about the 11th hour, that is, there's an hour left to work. He went out and he found some folks who weren't hired all day long. And so he says, why are you here? Nobody hired us. All right, you go to work too. No promise of anything. You go to work too. Now, that's interesting because what we find is that it doesn't matter when you come into the kingdom. It doesn't matter when your salvation happens. If you're saved when you're a kid and you grow up and you got a great life of 90 to 100 years old and you get to serve God all those years, that's wonderful. That's great. That's grand. That's beautiful, right? But there are times when there's somebody who's going to get saved in the last hour. That is, they may have a day left to live. They may have five years to live. We don't know. It's the last hour. And we get very skeptical. We say, oh, well, God doesn't save people on their deathbed. Let me tell you, he does. Amen? He does. And thank God that he does. 
Thank God for the thief on the cross. Amen? By the way, did he serve God? Yeah, he did. He began to worship Jesus, right? He acknowledged who Jesus was. And so when we realize that what Jesus is talking about is that all of us are called into the kingdom of God. But listen, some of us are going to have all of our life to serve God. Some of us won't. The first 17 years of my life, I was lost. I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So for 17 years of my life, I didn't serve God. I served my own interests. I did my own thing. But you know, nonetheless, you may have got saved at three. And James Dobson says he did. I don't know if that's true or not, but he says he got saved at three. And he's what, like 80-something years old now. So if he gets a great long life to live, so, I mean, that's great. That's wonderful. But it doesn't mean that we are paid differently. And that's the point that Jesus is making. So we all come into the kingdom, and we come in at different times. But listen, the point is the payment. So look at verse 8 and following, because here's the second scene. The second scene is this. So when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, and some believe the steward is probably Jesus, said to the steward, come or call the laborers and give their wages beginning the last to the first. Now that's wonderful because that's the first shall be last and the last shall be first, right? So here we have it pointed out. So they call in the laborers, they line them up, 11th hour, 9th hour, 6th hour, so on down the line, right? They line them up and they begin to dole out the pay. Now you can imagine if you're in line and you work one hour and you got a full day's wage. That would be pretty awesome, amen? We all like it when we work an hour and it counts as more than that, amen? Everybody likes that. When you get that time and a half, you're shaking your head, Said you're in the army, you don't get that anymore, right? When you get that time and a half, boy, that's nice, isn't it? That's, that's good stuff. And so they're standing in line and it says, and when, verse 9, when those who came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. Now that should sound very familiar because at the very beginning of the parable, Jesus said that those guys who were hired at the beginning of the day also promised that they would work in the field for a denarius. Now notice how the payment is the same. And so they begin to dole out the money. And as they do that, the people down the line are looking and they're saying, wow, if he got a denarius and he only worked 11 hours, I'm going to make some double money today. Amen. I mean, if he got denarius per hour, I should get 12 of those things. Now understand a denarius is a day's wage, right? Man, I'm going to be able to lay out of work for for 10 more days or 11 more days because I'm going to get 12 denarii today. How awesome is that going to be? And then when they get their money, they look at it in their hand. You can just see it, right? I mean, just Jesus helps us to see it. He's looking in his hand and he's like, okay, something is not right here. I mean, this guy worked an hour. I worked all day. And so what does he do with that? Well, the Bible says, Jesus says that, that in verse 10, and when they first came, uh, they supposed that they would receive more in verse 10. And then likewise received each a denarius. And when uh, they had received it, they complained. What are you talking about? I worked all day. I slaved. And listen, I love what they said, right? The end of verse 12, in the heat of the day. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. In the heat of the day, you owe me more. No, I don't owe you any more. Well, I'm paying you what we agreed upon. See, here's the problem. The problem is that Jesus is trying to cut to the heart of this this idea that people are supposed to be treated fairly by their own standard. 
And what he's trying to say to the disciples is, guys, listen, you've come to know me. You are following. There will be people after you who will come into the kingdom of God. Some of them will come, no doubt, and have to work 12 hours. Some of them will come, and no doubt, they'll come at 9 in the morning. Some, no doubt, will come even at the 11th hour. But I want you to understand something, guys. At the end of the day, when evening comes, evening is eternity. When evening comes, there's a reckoning. And when the reckoning of the payment comes, guess what? Everybody receives the same. Why? They all got a denarius. Now, I don't know if that's important to you, but that's important to me. Because again, I get this this wrong idea of what fairness is in my mind. And I think, you know, God, so-and-so can't preach. Why is he in a bigger church? Why is he more important? Or we get this mentality, you know, so-and-so's wicked. Why do they got more money than me? Or, you know, so-and-so doesn't serve God. Why should they get anything when they die and go to heaven? You know, they just sit on a pew and do nothing. And we get that mentality, don't we? Now, one thing I do want to point out in the parable that you need to understand is this. Every single one of them worked. It doesn't matter whether they came at 6 in the morning or whether they came in the 11th hour. They served God. It sort of is akin to what we talked about last week in our sermon. Remember, last week's parable, we talked about that you are going to bear fruit. If you're a true Christian, you're going to bear fruit. It may not be the same equaled fruit. That is, we may not all do the same thing and produce the same thing, but we're all bearing fruit. See, these, all these workers, see, they're saved. Seth. They're, they're believers. They, they did work in the field. They were bearing fruit in that field. They're, they're serving God. Just some are serving longer than others. And we cannot say, because I serve God longer, I'm better. See, the problem is that reaches into the church because some people think, well, you know, I've been in the church 50 years. I'm better than somebody who just came into the church. You know, or sometimes, listen, sometimes here's what we do in this modern day. What we do in this modern day, we say, you know, well, we need the guys who've been in the church a long time to be deacons, but we don't want a 30-year-old guy to be a deacon. He's just too young. Well, let me just tell you something. <laughs> we can't play those games. Amen? We can't, we can't say, well, I'm better, or this is better, that's better, because I'll be honest with you, I've met some people who've been in the church a long time, very immature. And yet I've met some who've been fairly new, born again believers, been very mature people. You know, and God's working in and through them. And I mean, it's just amazing. So fairness, are we to look at ourselves and say, well, you know, Paul's got it better in heaven and I'm going to have it. No, no, we're all going to have a place prepared for us by the king. His name is Jesus. We're all going to receive a denarii. We're not going to have anything different. We're not going to be able to go down the street strolling and saying, well, I'm better than Tim. I was a pastor. He's just a youth guy. Amen. So, you know, we're not going to be able to do that. You know, is there going to be different rewards? Sure there will be. Sure there will be. But it's not going to matter when it comes to our equality of salvation and in heaven. Amen. Well, that's the parable. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence today, Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.